you so much, ladies, for sharing with us really a prayer, a prayer that God would take our hearts. And um, I pray today that you are at a place of being able to say that, Lord, I desire to give you everything that I have. We are continuing a series, and actually we're wrapping up today on Sundays our series that we've called Kazon. It's a focus on a Hebrew word that means vision. It means a revelation from God. It comes from Proverbs 29, 18, where the Bible says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. And we've spent uh, some extensive study time on Sundays and Wednesdays thinking about this idea of looking at how God has uniquely shaped you, who He has made you to be, and how He wants to use all of those things uh, under His Spirit's guidance. And, and I want to share with you today, today's message is going to be different than I originally intended. I'm going to continue on Wednesdays talking about spiritual gifts. We had a great response last week as we looked at 1 Corinthians 12. We had people asking all kinds of questions. You know, we as Baptists have been fearful of, of the moving of the Spirit of God at times. And I want us to really earnestly think about what it means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And so we'll be studying those gifts. But today, I really want to invest some time thinking about this notion of the Spirit-filled life. And two events happened to me this week that really shaped the formation of this message. Now, I'll still use 1 Corinthians 12, 1, where Paul said to the church at Corinth, I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed about spiritual gifts. His desire was that they would operate in the Spirit, that they would allow God to be in control of their lives. And so I want to illustrate that point of the Spirit-filled life by an Old Testament passage of Scripture. Our text today is going to be Psalm 73. So I invite your attention to Psalm 73, and as you're turning there, I'll share with you the two events that led me to this place. The first one happened on Thursday. I know you're trying to listen and find Psalm 73 at the same time, and that's a difficult thing. I'll, I'll give you a moment. Psalm 73. On Thursday, I got a text. It was an alert from a doctor's office. It said, Scott is due for an annual vision exam. And I looked at the text, and I looked around, and I found my glasses and put them on so I could read the text and realized that there was a great deal of truth in that text. It was time for me to go back and get my eyes checked. And that led me to the place of changing the, the title of the sermon. It really is probably a good idea for all of us to get our vision checked, to see how are you looking at this world, especially in light of the news. I've seen people that have gone on political rants on both sides of the gun issue because of the shooting that happened. I've seen people go on all kinds of political tears because of different events that have happened in the government. And this is not in any way an endorsement on either side of any of those arguments. What I want us to do today is to very clearly focus our vision on the Lord Jesus Christ. I would hope that your political party or your affinity toward or against guns or whatever other uh, decisions that you would make, convictions that you would have, would all be subservient to your unconditional surrender to Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you want to ask me my opinion about political issues, I'll be glad to sit down this week or anytime and talk to you. I, I have opinions. I think everybody is entitled to an opinion. I think most of the time mine are right. So I'm very, very open to giving you mine. I'll be glad to share it. But today, I stand on the authority of the Word of God to say that we, as a people of God, like never before, need to live our lives Spirit-filled. We need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. We need to be uh, functioning in the gifts of the Spirit of God. And we need to be focused on our lives being uh, purposeful and intentional for Christ. And so today as we look at Psalm 73, I I just thought of that that whole idea. Scott, you need to get your vision checked. Now now draw in close with me for a moment and let me be transparent. Let me open my heart a little bit. Our Pine Belt Baptist Association for some months had planned a pastor's and wives retreat. And we were there this weekend down on the coast, grateful for our church's support of that. We were able to travel there with uh, many of our friends that are are on staff at at churches. And and some of our staff were able to participate. And uh, Dr. Ed Litton came and shared. He pastors a church in North Mobile, Alabama. An incredible story, an interesting man of God. But yesterday morning, he opened up the word in Ephesians and began to just talk about being a spirit-filled man. The wives went into another breakout session, and they were spending time together. But all the men were together. And I'm just being as transparent as I can. As Dr. Litton began to share, he was reading my mail. It is easy for us to serve in Christian circles. It's easy for us in 2018 in the United States, especially in the buckle of the Bible Belt in South Mississippi, for us to live our lives on spiritual autopilots. To live on yesterday's bread. And we know that God wants to give us fresh bread daily. That manna from his word to feed our souls. And the breath of the spirit of God needed desperately to blow through my heart. Because I began to look at the ways that I had spoken to my wife and to my children. And how busy I've gotten doing things for God. And not listening to and attending to my relationship with God. Now, I, I want to say this, and, and not to cover anything up. I, I'll put my heart out there transparently. I'm not saying that God exposed some deep, dark sin in my life, but what he did expose to me was this, that I spent a lot more time trying to put on the veneer to cover up and act like I don't have sin in my life than I do dealing with the sin in my life. You see, it's all deep, dark, and ugly. And, and we, when we get to the place where we recognize the sinfulness of our sin and the holiness of our God and the power that he has in our lives through the victory of Jesus Christ to give us freedom and to give us victory and to set us free to serve him. We ought to live in a constant hallelujah. God showed me yesterday that I wasn't living there. That, that I've slowly drifted in places in my life where the, the Word is not uh, something that I hunger for every single day all of the time. And I, I find myself studying for sermons at times and, and just not being refreshed by the Spirit of God. And I confess that and I ask God to forgive me for that. And I ask you that you would pray for me and help me that I would constantly be just chained to the desk of my study and say, Oh God, would you give me a word so that when I stand before you, I would have nothing more or nothing less to say than this. Thus says the Lord. 
That's what you need. And God directed me to Psalm 73. He just stirred my heart in this because it's a picture of someone who was going through that exact same thing. You see, the psalmist went through a place of, of slipping, of, of drifting. And as he did, he was losing his kazone. He was losing his revelation from God. He was losing his purpose and his intentional direction. And so today, I want us to look at this together. I want us to think about vision, though, for just a moment. If you think about the incredible miracle of sight, I would dare say most of you would say that sight is perhaps the most important of all your senses. Now, I know that we have people in our church that are vision impaired. They've dealt with that. But most of you would say probably that, that you, would, you would rather lose a finger than your eyes. Vision is so vitally important. And some of you, if you begin to think about the, the wonder of engineering that the eyeball is, you think your digital camera is complex. You think your, your iPhone is something. Begin to consider the, the miraculous inner workings of these small orbs that are attached to your face. You start with the sclera, the outer part of the, the eye that holds this little ball of jelly together. And then the cornea, the transparent front of the eye that lets light in. Or the iris that adjusts and allows light to come in and controls the amount of light. Or the retina, the projector, uh, projection screen that receives the light. Or the optic nerve or the brain and all of the sensory or, um, uh, nerves that have to, to come together for you to see depth and color and perception. Vision is an incredible thing. Would you agree? I think it's important for us to say this. As marvelous as your physical vision is as powerful as your eyeballs are, they have a significant limitation. You see, your eyes, every eye in this room has a fatal flaw. And that flaw is this, that your eyes can only see physical reality. But there's an unseen reality beyond what we can perceive with our cornea, iris, retina, etc. Every eye in this room is limited to seeing cars and people and computers and trees and books and microbes. But you cannot perceive spiritual reality with your eyes. And the reason this is so important to me is because I see so many people. And so many people that are in this room that are part of my faith family that are walking by sight. And not by faith. You see, we access the, the vision of spiritual reality by faith. We trust in God and in His Word. And we take hold of those things. We apprehend spiritual things by faith. And so I want to persuade you today that as valuable as your physical eyesight is, that you need to take your spiritual eyes and focus them all the more on the Lord Jesus Christ, for they are far more valuable than anything your physical eyes can ever behold. But you have to use them if you want to live a life that finds its satisfaction in God. You see, the psalmist found this place where he began to live and look with his physical eyes. And when he did, it took him very, very quickly and drastically off course. Let's read our text together. Well, in fact, let me give you one, one more text. I actually want to put this one on the screen. You see, I believe that every human being has spiritual eyes. All of us have the capacity to see. God's placed that in us, and yet our, our, lives are, our eyes are blinded spiritually to the things of God by the, the God of this world. Let's listen to these words from 
Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Among whom the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. So they would not, what's the next word? See the light of the glorious gospel who is the image of God. You see, you cannot see spiritual things unless the Holy Spirit gives you sight. Oh, but when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ and He indwells your life, He gives to you that capacity. He enables you now to discern spiritual things. And we must stop walking by sight and begin walking by faith. We must trust in Him and allow the Spirit to move in our lives. That is Kazon. As we've talked about vision, revelation from God, you don't wake up one day and say, I think this is what I'm going to do for God. No. You can do that if you'd like, but that's in the flesh. You see, Kazon, that idea that there's a vision, a revelation, a direct path from God, a dream for your life, means that God reveals to you through His Word, through His Spirit, all that He wants for you and from you. And you begin to walk in that and you experience power because He equips you and enables you to do that which He's called you to do. And the Bible says very clearly there in Proverbs 29 that when that is not the operational standard, when we're not walking in the Spirit in a vision from God, people cast off restraint. They just decide their own way. They do their own thing. And ultimately, it says, they perish. Well, let's read together from Psalm 73. And as we do, I think you'll begin to see some interesting things. Let let me set this up. This is an individual psalm of thanksgiving. It's actually part of a group of psalms called wisdom psalms. And this is a testimony. All right, this is a testimony. So everybody look this way. This is what's happening. Does somebody have a word from the Lord? And and the psalmist raises his hand and he comes to the microphone. And he picks up the microphone and he said, I need to tell you what God has done for me. That's the scenario. So as we read scripture, it's a testimony. And I think as he shares, there'll be great benefit for all of us. Listen to these words. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Now your translation may say their bodies are fat. In that context, it's saying they are healthy. They are robust. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. 
If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down in ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. He is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near you, God. I, made, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Pray with me, and then we will begin to look and consider this man's testimony in light of what God desires for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would add understanding and illumination to this word today and that you would speak to us very, very clearly through it. I pray that you would hide me and that you would be the one who would increase. You would be the one glorified. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. Psalm 73 begins with a summary of this man's theology. Surely God is good. Surely God is good. He gives almost as a preview what he comes to ultimately believe. But after some struggle, because we read immediately, he said, my foot almost slipped. We come to verse 2 and he says that. He says, surely God is good, but I have almost slipped. Why did he almost slip? Why did he find himself struggling? Why is he wrestling? He, he gives to us an interesting thought. He says, God is good to Israel, to those whose motives are pure. And that's going to come clear in just a moment. But as for me and my Feet, uh, for, as for me, my feet had almost slipped and I had nearly lost my foothold. Look at verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Let me give you a point I want you to jot down. Your physical eyes can blind you to spiritual reality. Your physical eyes can blind you to spiritual reality. I, I have called this spiritual farsightedness or hyperopia. Uh, some people are farsighted. They can see things far away, but they can't see things that are close up. Sometimes we look at the world around us and we can't even discern the Spirit of God that's right here among us. You see, here's what he did. Let me just give you the, the breakdown. This is the cliff note version, if you will, of the exegesis here. If we're going to study this passage, he looked at people who were making bank. He looked at people who had it made, it seems. He looked at people that were the success of this world all around him. And he said, I looked at their lives and how easy it was, and immediately my heart melted. It just began to shrink. I said, why should I try so hard to please God? Why should I try so hard to remain pure? Why should I try so hard to be faithful? Why do I need to go to church all the time? There are tons of people today that are out playing golf. They're out on the lake. They're hanging out. Their life is good. They're living the easy life. And here I am. And you know what he said about that? My foot almost slipped. My foot almost slipped. 
Why did he say that? Because he began to look at their lives and his physical eyes were betraying him to the spiritual reality. He looked through those two little eyeballs of his and he focused them on the proud and the wicked around him and he saw them and they made him envious. Why was he envious? Look at verse 4 and 5. They suffer no pain. Their bodies are strong and well fed. They are immune to trouble. They, they have no trouble common to men. They don't suffer as other men do. One commentator said this. He said these people are healthy and if they do get sick, they've got access to the best medical care. They can afford all the painkillers they need. They're well fed. They shop at the best supermarkets. They eat at the best restaurants. They are living the good life. They can afford the best security systems that, to protect them from trouble. They have it made. And their comfortableness is not limited to physical comfort. They're emotionally comfort. Keep going with me in six Seven and eight. It says this, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imagination has no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, arrogance. They threaten oppression. I mean, you talk about confidence. This is the epitome of swagger. These are people that are dressed to the nine. They drive the best car. They live in the nicest house. They've got everything that worldly eyes long for. And the psalmist, through his physical eyes, saw them, and he was dejected. Students, some of you begin to look at this world, and maybe you've become cynical at some level. You look and you say, what's the point? I, I see all this madness, all this craziness. Why should I try to serve God? I mean, there are plenty of people that don't serve God, and they're out partying, they're out living it up, and their lives seem fine. That's exactly what the psalmist sees with his eyes. Adults, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This isn't an issue of youthfulness. You, you see the, the family next door that just seems to have it made. You know, the old statement is we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, and about the time we catch up, they refinance. You just will not catch them. Some of you will go home and appreciate that later. The psalmist said they've got it all together. Their mouths lay, I mean, listen to this, verse 9. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of earth. You talk about a big mouth. They walk around with swagger and say, I own it all. I, I am the stuff. Look at me. And the psalmist looks at them. I, I have a friend named Jerry who works with our North American Mission Board. And he, he tells a, an amazing story of being on I-85 just outside of Atlanta. And he got past and there were four guys driving a real big Escalade, a Cadillac Escalade. And it, I mean, it was just all tricked out. It had everything you could possibly imagine. I mean, it just, it, it looked like money was just flowing out of the exhaust of this thing. And they passed him doing about 95 miles an hour. And he said he just was intrigued as he watched them. I mean, he said, I got enough of a glimpse. These were young guys, and they looked like they had the world by the tail. He said they were dancing and singing inside there. And he said they got about 100 yards ahead of him and flipped that Escalade. They, they ran up on a car, and so they swerved over, and all of a sudden, he said, I'm watching this as almost in slow motion as it rolled over and over and over. And he said, in one split Second, they went from having everything the world could show, everything the world could want, to meeting their maker face to face. All four of those young men were killed. 
And he goes on and he tells a story. And the point of me sharing this is not that whole story. I won't go through all of it. But all four of them were killed. And, and uh, you begin to think about this life and how quickly this life can be taken from us. You begin to think about the precious, fragile nature of this life. Our life, as James said, is like a vapor. It's like a warm breath on a cold morning. It's here for one second and then gone. And for you and for me, as I had the doctor say, you need to get your vision checked. And then yesterday I had a preacher calling me out from the Word of God saying, Scott, you need to have your spiritual vision checked. You need to live for God like never before. You need to surrender yourself to a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit so that by power He would anoint your preaching. By power He would anoint your evangelism. By power He would anoint your living so that you would live out before your wife and your children and your deacons and your church and your neighbors the power of Jesus Christ. And you and I better get to that place where we surrender. Oh, that God would flood the altar today. And that we would say, God, we need you. But I'm afraid that we're spiritually farsighted. We're looking at stuff that's all around us that's tantalizing. And we lose sight of what's right here. God is with us. Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth and he left his Holy Spirit as a deposit. Here's what I would say to you today. Dads, I'm begging. If you're a father in this room or a grandfather, don't chase dollars. Chase integrity. Don't chase dollars. Model Christ-likeness. Moms, don't chase materialism. Chase modesty and model holiness for your family. Teach your children to focus their spiritual vision. Teach your children to the spiritual realities that are all around them because here's what I want you to see. Your physical eyes can easily blind you to spiritual reality. Number two, short-term success can cloud eternal reward. I would call this spiritual myopia. This is nearsightedness. You look at everything that's right here and lose sight of the promises of eternity. You see, to make matters worse, people envy these folks. They love these folks. These men are healthy and wealthy, but they've got the adulation of the masses. Everybody wants to be near them. They're all the rage. Now, as we think about this, people follow them and want to be like them. But their behavior emboldens other people to reject God. And I want you to see this because it's very, very subtle. In our culture, I want you to hear this. The media and all of this world system is subtly pushing us farther and farther away from God. Farther away from spiritual reality. They're, in fact, well, look at verse 12. Take a good look. This is what the wicked are like. Those who always have it so easy get richer and richer. Now, I believe with all my heart this is a cry of protest. He's not giving up, and I believe it's a cry of protest because he knows something's not right. He looks at it, and he goes, they seem to have it all together, and everybody wants to be them, and everybody wants to follow them, and I think he wants to cry foul. He looks and sees these guys are winning at the game of life, and he wants to throw a flag. He wants to say unnecessary wickedness, foul on the play. He knows something's not right, and we see him come full circle in the text. And as we do, he begins to show us some things that we need to hear. It's interesting. He even concludes that their persuasion came close to getting him. Look at verse 13 and 14. 
Surely in vain I have kept my motives pure and maintained a pure lifestyle. I suffer all day long and I'm punished every morning. Some of you may not ever be so brazen as to say that. But here's the question that millions ask. Is Jesus Christ really worth following? That's what he's asking. Is God worth it? I've kept myself pure. I've tried to walk in his ways. Has it been in vain? I could do what they do and have what they have. And it's not just about materialism. It's a mindset. It's spiritual vision. But he sees through it. I'm so thankful. He's questioning his approach to life and beginning to regret the fact that up till now he's committed his life to God. He's almost to a place of saying, to heck with it all. Why? I can sleep in on Sunday. I can go play golf. I can do whatever else. Your physical eyes can blind you to spiritual realities. Your short-term success can cloud eternal reward and miss what is to come. But thirdly, I want you to see this. Your physical eyes can also distort truth. Again, he's asking the question, is God worth following? This is a man in turmoil. I'm fascinated by this text of Scripture because you see his inner turmoil. Surely God is good, but my feet have almost slipped because I see these things around me. Stay with me for just a moment. Look at where he goes. What holds him back from just cashing in his chips and saying, I'm not going to follow God anymore, may surprise you. Verse 15, 16. If I had publicized these thoughts... I would have betrayed your children, your loyal followers. When I tried to make sense of this, it was troubling to me. You see, this man is a part of a community of faith. And he knows he's not on an island. And he knows that if he gets to the point where he actually articulates his doubts, he would do damage to his faith community. So he goes to the temple. He goes to be with the people of God. And can I just tell you how much I need you? There are times when I find myself in doubt and discouragement and despair and I need men and women of God that come alongside me and I see faith in their life. Ed Litton, the pastor that spoke to us this weekend, has been through a horrendous, horrendous story. His wife was killed tragically in an automobile accident and and God used the brokenness of that uh, experience to bring him to a place uh, deeply wounded, yes, but deeply dependent upon God. And his testimony yesterday ministered so deeply to my life because I I just said, God, it's all worth it. Everything that we go through. And and the beauty of what that man shared with us was this. I I have had a, a glorious opportunity to invest my life in ministry and I've got the promise of eternity to come and I will see her yet again. And God has for all of us great promises of eternity and this world will distort that truth. Stop playing politics. Stop going on rants that don't matter. Stop infuriating people over trying to just win an argument and start surrendering your life to the Holy Spirit of God and allow His power to flow through you. If we would do that, we would make all the difference in the world. I heard a quote this week that just has has mulled over in my heart and mind. It's not our job to convince people that the gospel is true. It is our responsibility to live convinced that it is true. 
When you live your life convinced of the resurrection, you live like Paul. Kill me if you must, but for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No matter what comes, I'll serve him. You can be so blinded to the truth that you live physical reality. And your children, this next generation, desperately needs men and women who would live out their lives. It's fascinating to me that the very thing that holds him back is his family of faith. The community's not the solution to his problem. The Spirit of God is. But God uses it in a passive role in keeping him from accepting these painful things his physical eyes are showing him and trusting in God. You've been there. I know you've been wronged. There there are a myriad of examples. A criminal goes free on a technicality, and you go, that's not right. A deceitful man at work gets to keep his job, and not only that, he gets a promotion. And you go, that's not right. Some gossiping woman in your life's got a better figure than you do, and you go, that's not right, God. Some disrespectful teenager has got all the coolest gadgets. I mean, you go, this kid's a jerk. He's obnoxious. He, he is rebellious, and he, uh, he thumbs his nose at his parents, and they still just lavish upon him all this stuff. So why should I try to live a good life? Does that make sense to anybody? Hello? We've been wronged, but that doesn't change the truth. And he comes to the truth. Look at this. I love it. Verse 17. Verse 17. I just want to say, wow. I wrote that out beside it in my Bible. (laughs) Then I entered the precincts of God's temple. He said, I came together with God's people, and I understood the destiny of the wicked. (laughs) Standing in the courts of the temple, he gained new perspective. His vision was corrected. He saw things. Look at verse 18. And 19, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? How completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakens. See, the Lord arises and he will cast them down. Now, he could see that all was not as his physical eyes had told him. There was more going on. The wicked don't actually occupy a place of security. So let me tell you this, Hardy Street, when you begin to envy the Joneses, when you begin to envy those who are living in wickedness, recognize that they are not in a secure position. Their money will not buy them eternity. Those four young men in that Cadillac Escalade, one second before had the world by the tail, one second after recognized the sovereignty and the power of God. When the ballots are counted, they don't have a majority. In fact, they look good on paper, and both teams take the court. It's a blowout. They thought they owned heaven and earth, and they owned nothing. The Bible said that they touted that. Their mouths toward heaven, their tongues toward the earth. They owned nothing. They're like a dream, frightening while you sleep, but when you wake up, you forget about those phantoms. Three things that I want to share with you very quickly that spiritual vision and clarity will bring. Number one, shame, humility, and brokenness. This is where God took me yesterday. I had to come to the place where I said, I'm not the spirit-filled man of God that I need to be in my home. I'm a pastor, yes. I do Good things, yes. I serve and work, yes. But I'm not living my life followed moment by moment in the kazone of God. And I had to repent. 
the, the psalmist came to this same place. Verses 21 and 22, he said, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. It brought him to shame. He said, God, all this stuff that I see pales in comparison to the value and the beauty of you. Secondly, it brings an awareness of the goodness of God. Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You see, some of you need to realize and appropriate what the Spirit has already given to you. He's already given you victory. And here, the psalmist came through all of that struggle and saw very simply that God was good. Isn't it interesting he started there? He started there, the very first words of the psalm, Surely God is good to Israel and those whose motives or intentions are right. What an exclamation of amazement. I think he means to say something like this when he goes on and he says, Nothing in heaven or earth do I desire like you. You're my portion. He said this, Out of all the things in the universe that I could have, I have God. Out of all the things in the universe, you ought to be able to say, if in fact you are possessed by Christ, I have Christ. I have Christ. I count everything else but lost because I have Jesus Christ. I have the eternal one, the darling of heaven who is victorious and is coming again to judge and to reign and to rule forever. This past week, a talk show host Tried very, very hard to make a mockery of our faith by talking about our vice president and saying, well, you know, it's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing to hear Jesus talk to you. And she called it mental illness. I'll just be quite honest. Had she said that about a Muslim, she would have been fired on the spot. This world system is pushing us away from the truth of God. Out of all the things that you can have in this world, sir, Jesus Christ is the greatest. Out of all the things that you can treasure in this world, madam, Jesus Christ is the supreme treasure. And when you get proper spiritual clarity, you may come to a place of shame and emptiness and bitterness and frustration, but you will come to a place of an awareness of the goodness of God, and it will ultimately lead you here. The final place is a, a clarity about sin and judgment. Sin would not be so attractive. Write this down. It's not up there, but I want you to write this down. And I want you to repeat it this week. Sin would not be so attractive if the wages were paid instantly. Hello? The wages of sin is, the last time I checked, that's what the Word of God said. Help me out with it. The wages of sin is what? Do you think sin would be so attractive if the wages were paid instantly? You think if somebody gossiped in the hallway of the church and dropped dead of a heart attack, we'd start paying attention to holiness? I think we would. We need to have our vision checked. Because the reality of a holy God has not changed just because the world around us seems to prosper without Him. Fourthly and finally, this is what spiritual vision will bring. A revealed purpose. Kazone. Kazone. It it will bring to you what God wants for you. You see, spiritual eyes are eyes that hope in Christ. 
the, the fight is a fight to see by believing. We need to help each other see. So I want to ask, do you have spiritual vision that's 2020? Do you have good, clear vision? Can you see him? Can I see him? Are we as a church going through religious exercises? Are we like the psalmist able to come to the place and say, He is everything we need. I want to be there. Now, you say, how do I apply this message, Pastor? Repent. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Surrender your life today. And experience victory in Him. Experience the victory of the Spirit-filled life. Experience the victory of guidance and constant companionship. All those things that the psalmist came to starting in the latter verses of this text. Maybe, just maybe today, you want to just pack up your Bible and go eat Chinese food and go on about your way. I understand that. Maybe, just maybe, somewhere the Spirit of God has pricked your heart and said, I've played the game of church. I've played the game of Christianity. I desperately need a filling of the Holy Spirit of God. The need of this hour is not for us to leave this place and eat lunch. The need of this hour is us to get a fresh glimpse of God, a clear vision of His Spirit, and surrender fresh and new. To walk out of here free in victory. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you need to go to someone else and confess something. I had confession to do last night with my wife and yesterday with my daughters just to say, I'm sorry that I've not been led by the Spirit of God. I desperately want that so that we can move forward as a family, forward as a church. Let God have His way. Our musicians are going to come. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And you allow God to have His way. Maybe you need to unite with this church. Perhaps you need to be saved. Perhaps the need of your life today is to trust Jesus Christ for the very first time in a real way. We have prayer partners that will be here at the front, encouragers we call them. And they'll share with you how you can start a relationship with God. Let's stand together, I pray, and at the end of that prayer we'll sing and you let God have his way. Father, move among us this morning. God, have your way. May your spirit fill this place. May your spirit move among our hearts and lives and bring conviction of sin and bring us to a place of experiencing righteousness, the goodness of God. Give us clarity like we've never had before. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, you move now. Don't wait till we 